Welcome to Shooting the Shit. The podcast bringing bathroom banter from our home to yours. Sit back and relax on your porcelain throne. Okay, so you're going to hear my like intro voice. (laughs) Okay, hello and welcome back to Shooting the Shit. Uh, Today with me, I have a very, very lovely and special guest, Catherine Ingersoll, who I actually had the pleasure of meeting during her first year at WashU and my second when I was her like peer mentor, I guess we can call it for the general public is the idea, but she mentored me a lot. And so it was a really wonderful relationship and has really blossomed from there into a friendship that has been going on now five, four or five years. Yeah. Uh, so I have her with me today to talk a little bit about her experience in the field of children and social work. Um, and she's actually currently in graduate school for that here in St. Louis, which is really wonderful because I get to see her all the time. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll just get started. I'm ready. I'm ready, Catherine? <laughs> okay. So because this is a uh, bathroom, somewhat bathroom related podcast, um, the first question I will start with is what has been your favorite bathroom experience that you've, most favorite that mm. you've ever had? Okay. So I did think about this because it's, what comes to mind is obviously like the worst experiences that I've had. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to think the best. Okay. So I went as, as you know, but as many people don't, I went to a French immersion school until I was 14 and I don't know what, like our school was renovated from like either an old hospital or something. So there were a lot of like different wings of the building. And there was this one bathroom that children were not allowed to use because one, it was cleaned regularly and like it was like it had soap in it and whatever, but it had um, like a window that opened over our entire school and you could see everything. And there was like, there was just oh, like wow. a beautiful summer breeze. And I remember like getting thrown out of the principal's office for mouthing off to one of my teachers being like, can I just like pee really fast before I go back to my mom, who's going to be pissed that she had to leave work to come and get me. (laughs) And then I just like opened the window and like, I felt the breeze and I was like, Oh, maybe I won't get my ass handed to me. And then I did 25 minutes later when my mom came to pick me up and I was like, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, but you can always, like, dissociate and just, like, imagine yourself being I know. Sometimes I feel a breeze, and I'm like, oh, it's reminiscent of that good old day in third grade. Oh, yeah. Third grade? I I definitely got sent to the office way more when I was in elementary school than at any other point. We love Mm -hmm. love young Catherine. (laughs) Just just breaking the mold. Absolutely. Pushing boundaries. Always. Awesome. Well, now the one that you thought would be, I guess, like that came to your mind a lot easier. What has been your worst bathroom I mean, experience? If we're going to be honest with ourselves, as a lactose intolerant person who chooses to ignore that, I've had a lot of close calls. Um, but definitely some like background on some terminology that I'm going to use. So in my apartment, Jenna, my lovely roommate, um, coined this term, I'm sorry, where she had had a really narrow experience with the bathroom where she ran through someone's apartment yelling, I'm sorry for essentially what she was about to do to their bathroom. 
And so I last summer, I decided, or like our one of our friends, Eric, we went to dinner and at this sushi restaurant in Clayton that will remain nameless, but that offers all you can eat. And then after we were oh, like, yeah. oh, we definitely have dessert, like earned ice cream. And so we went to ices after. And I was like, no, my body's for sure strong enough to handle this. And I live maybe four minutes, a four minute drive. Yeah. Very close. Eric's like not, not done talking. And I'm like, buddy, you're going to have to wrap it up because my stomach's starting to make whale noises. And like, I'm going to have like a moment. And Jenna was the only one home. And I called her from like my car being like, I need you to unlock the front door. I'm going to have an I'm sorry moment. I can't even think straight. Like it's a miracle I'm able to drive this car. And like the whole way home, I'm like focusing. And then I like throw open like our front door. And like you can't even run at that point because it's so dangerous. You're just like walking really quickly and like shuffling the feet. And I was like, so in our house, we have two bathrooms right next to each other. And I generally don't use the first one. It's considered Jenna's. And I was like, Jenna, I'm sorry. And just like slam the door. And she texted me and she's like, I really am glad that this is happening to you and not me right now. So that'd be my worst. Oh, <laughs> I feel that actually. I feel like we've all kind of been there at one Absolutely. point in our lives. It's a tough life out here. Okay, and then last bathroom-related question. What is a bathroom product that you would say is your holy Okay, so when I worked in a school, one of the, like, teacher's lounge accessories, you could call it, was this little spray of, um, I think it's called, like, poopery. Um, But it was, like, something – it had some, like, joking pun about logs on the front. Um, And, like, it was replaced constantly with, like, different flavors – and I was like, oh, that's our flavors sense. Everyone gets mad when I say flavors, but that's just what it is. Because you're not going to like spread right. your but mouth. But it's, like, I guess it's it. scent. Um, but yeah, they make this like like uh, eucalyptus cucumber like smell. And I just like have very fond memories of it. And I got like a little spray for it for myself. And I was like, oh, this is super cute. Oh, we just got one. We have one here. I think it's like oh. a fall scent. I think it's from last year. We don't use it that often, but you we'll know, sometimes I will say, like, now that you live with your sister, it's a different vibe. Like, I'm not going to use that at home with my brother. I'm like, well, whatever. Like, you've dealt with me for this long, right? It's I was like, you've dealt with me for this long. Like, it's not going to change anything. And then, yeah, like, you know, right. You know and now living happen. with like wonderfully close friends, but I'm still like, you don't need to experience what I'm experiencing, and vice versa. That's a different right. That's like well. that's like years into like that's like some marriage and family like material right there. If you're like ready to just let everything on the line, Excuse yeah, yourself, yeah. Boy, <laughs> well, moving on from our bathroom related questions into I guess some more hard hitting stuff. Um, I guess I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit. I know we've talked about it in like series of conversations that we've had over the years. Um, but I guess to kind of summarize, how uh, did you feel kind of entering into the field of social work in the current climate right now? Both like related to like, you could say political climate or different policies and then also with yeah. COVID. So I think, I mean, we talk about this idea of like dueling pandemics that are going on right now, um, COVID related and then more like civil rights related. Um, and I think it's a really interesting time to be going into social work 
in a city that has gotten a lot of attention over the last couple months for its policies um, and the way that it's handled certain um, either different like political policies or more environmental ones related to COVID. Um, I think especially given the way that COVID has disproportionately affected um, I mean, in St. Louis, largely black folks and black communities, um, it is definitely really challenging to kind of justify that with, um, you know, what's going on in the city right now. Um, St. Louis is a very politically active city. I'm very thankful to be getting my master's with so many people who care so much about what's going on. Um, but it's really tough when, you know, the people who are supposed to be running the city, like our mayor, are just not making the right calls and our government in the States, like they're not making the right calls. And there's just, it seems like St. Louis is so divided in what it believes that it feels like there's like so much work ahead of us. That's almost insurmountable. And I think it's interesting being yeah. a school of social work, but having a social work program and a public health program, how we're able to kind of tackle both sides but also like we come in for a couple years, get our program done, and then for a large part leave. So you have these wonderful initiatives that are starting that are coming out of the school, but people can't or don't stay around long enough to really like see the full impact of that. And so definitely there's a part of me that, you know, is very excited to go back to California and whatnot um, and do whatever it may be there that I want but also like rectifying that choice with like the fact that St. Louis has given me so much of my training and my experiences and like, I want to give back to it and I want to see the city improve. And I, I know that it can, um, but it's one of those things where like, where do you even start? Cause there's so much to do. Yeah. And I think also the idea of um, like working in your own community and like working to make changes in your own community. is hard when like, you may have more than one community that you're like physically a part of. Like obviously you grew up in LA and they need social workers. Like, of, like, of course, like it's a, it's, it's, it's the largest County. I think I like how yeah. the largest like district or yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, but at the same time, yeah. Like St. Louis has kind of become. Yeah. Home. And I think, you know, for what I want to go into, like all of those experiences have been here um, and they haven't been at home. And so as much as, you know, I, I know about this community, like in my adult life, in my social work oriented part of my life, it's all been in, in St. Louis and Missouri. And so I'm really well versed now in things here, but that I'm not well versed in at home. And so it's an interesting yeah. dynamic. Also, having gone to WashU, like post Ferguson, um, seeing kind of how the city has changed through a bunch of different um, verdicts and cases and you know losses with Planned Parenthood and stuff like the the part of me that got very active in St. Louis is a, a different person than like who, who grew up in California who wanted to be in social work yeah you're coming back at it with such a different yeah. lens I think see everything through which is amazing but also I think can maybe make things a little more challenging and um Especially, I think when you see, I don't know much about obviously like everyone's specific community, but like I know of from like research and like documentaries that I've watched, like seeing like LA County and how that operates there. And then also here seeing, at least from my end, working as a CASA, like seeing the social work side of it. Um, 
it's very interesting and also very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, St. Louis is tackling way different issues than like, than home is tackling. And so, you know, there's so many different, like the need for different types of social workers differs, but depending on what community you're looking at. And so like LA County needs like rehousing or those who are unhoused, like Mm -hmm. counselors, we need, you know, to fix our, like our problems with immigration, like are, we're looking at systemic issues, but different systemic issues um, than I think exist here. So definitely an interesting juxtaposition, um, a tough one to do. I think when, like, I don't know a whole lot about LA County as much in terms of the policies Mm -hmm. and stuff, because I haven't, you know, I didn't live there and, and study there. Yeah. And you're not, you're not studying there. Yeah. It just it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I guess, what do you feel? I think you kind of touched on it um, when you talked about the dueling pandemics or the double pandemics. Yeah. Um, what do you feel like is the most pressing, pressing issue right now facing our community here in St. Louis? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's just your opinion, I so think, it's fine. you know, depending on the type of social work you're in, you, you're going to answer that question a little bit differently. And so I guess I'll touch on it for the aspect of social work that I want to go into. Um, so um, as you know, but others may not, I am hoping to go into school counseling um, and work with students who have particular behavior challenges, um, whether that's like ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, ADHD, autism, um, things that impact social behaviors. And so I'd say in our like St. Louis community, in terms of education, um, our special education services don't do enough. Um, they also can't really do that much. And so they can do they can do what they can do with the resources. In the county, there are a lot more resources than in the city. Um, but kind of this trend that's been going on for the last couple of years is um, this overdiagnosing and perhaps misdiagnosing of Black students with behavior disorders that are more aggressive than their white counterparts, um, and they're less likely to be diagnosed with autism. Um, and so what you see is kids who aren't getting the services that they need. Um, and also there's just not enough social workers. There aren't enough people to take on the caseload that is perhaps needed. Um, and you see even in wealthy districts, social workers being split between an elementary and a middle school. And there's just like not enough of us to go around, um, which is a really. Well, those are entirely different populations, I feel like too. Like when you, you know, if you're seeing you, you see like one grade a day, you know, that's just, it doesn't leave enough time to do your due diligence um, and be a competent um, person in their cases. And so I think for school social work, the biggest issue that we're facing is um, under, like being under-resourced and understaffed. Um, not enough, there aren't enough people to go around, but also the people who are doing the diagnosing are not necessarily acknowledging the biases that come from yeah, the big yeah. and it's yeah. really tough to see kids like not getting the resources they need and you know when I worked in special ed I worked a majority mm-hmm. of the kids who had social emotional behaviors um and it was really interesting to see how 
diagnoses between kids of different races and different genders got diagnosed differently, even though their behaviors presented in the same way. Um, and how they just, there weren't enough people to help them. And it was largely up to parents outside of school to provide their kids with the resources. But then like there are barriers within that as well that negatively impact people. Yeah. Just like understanding that there are other reasons that your child may be acting this specific way or like doing these things. Like there's other diagnoses out there that could be the reason. Right. And that it's okay. Right. And there's like, there needs to be more normalizing in, you know, kids presenting with ADHD, anxiety, depression, like bipolar disorder. There's just, there's so much stuff out there. And like, we already underdiagnose for certain populations. And so, you know, kind of tackling the like mental health issues that exist in the school setting and providing additional supports is, I think, where I see more my my role coming into play. Obviously, I don't get, you know, a super big choice, um, but I definitely want to focus more on the larger systems at play um, to make sure that as like time goes on and these kids like go forward in school, that they're able to get the things that they need later on. I think also like, I I don't know what you think about it is like trying to it's a similar thing because I'm an education of just like getting people on board for understanding that like we need more resources and like what that, what that actually means. Like not just, it's not always just throwing money at the problem because the money needs to be allocated to specific things. And like, there are people doing like specific research on interventions or um, yeah, different types of like practices that they can do in classes. But I just feel like getting whether it's the general public or I think what you're talking about with these, with these leaders, like with the mayor, with governors, with local leaders, like how do we get them to buy? Well, and it sucks. Which feels kind of sad that like you have to get them to buy. That's what I was going to say. Like, you know, the fact that we have to justify why a 10 year old who's experienced heavy amounts of trauma needs a counselor. um, I think that there's definitely some moral adjustments that we need to make as a, as a society and like what we value. And if we value our people as a collective rather than an individual, then I think we can make some progress. Um, Yeah. It's definitely frustrating to have to justify to people who for the most part aren't in the classroom or experiencing what we are. So you have these like administrative Right. You have these administrative bodies who think that they know best, but then when it comes down to it, they've never like lived through that experience. And it's, you know, challenging. Yes, you have a PhD and you're so educated, but you have the actual like, not like clinical, but the real life experience to back up your policies and what you're implementing, because it shouldn't be the onus should not be on me as an individual to like come in and change everything. Like there should be this back and forth that I feel like is not existing in public education at all. And it's super challenging because everyone who goes into education, I mean, no one goes in just for the shits and giggles and you're sure as hell not going in for the pay. So like, you know, the fact that we all want what's best for our kids for the most part, but you're like constantly working against someone. Like it doesn't feel like people want you to succeed. It's like they want to show you how bad it is and then have someone to blame. And it's like, no, like we we actually can 
you know, make things better. I'm not saying that we're going to come in with a magic wand and like fix everything miraculously. But, you know, I think that there's way more that we can do than oftentimes gets done. Yeah. It's like this, yeah, it's this constant fight of just like having to prove that like what you're doing is like worth something. Um, Because I feel like also like, especially we have this idea of like things having value. And I think people don't understand like what value is and like how people can value different things. Like you should value your mental health and your well-being, both physically and mentally. But then other people are like, well, I value money. And it's like, well, yes, money does get you things. I'm not denying that. And it can make you, it can provide a sustainable life that you can have. But at the same time, if that is like the value that is driving you, that is not going to Well, and out. I think we have similar for other people because you like literally just like end up screwing right and I know you and I have similar like family backgrounds and like I know this idea of you know whenever when I tell people I'm going to get my master's in social work they're like oh wow we need more people like you and I'm like thank you I mean and they're like wow you're so brave to go into a field you know where things are so sad and you're not going to make any money and like I think there's this cultural shift for a lot of people that's coming where you know, we don't need, or like the emphasis on, on how we get, like, I don't even know how to say it, but like the value that we take away from our role in society, for me at least, Mm -hmm. and for a lot of people around me stems more from like what value we can put back into it rather than like what we can take Mm -hmm. from it. And so like, I, yeah, it's like filling the bucket. It's like that old, like, yes, I, I don't think, know if you yeah. ever were told that as a kid, but you have to fill the bucket in order to uh-huh. take it. Yeah. And I think, but like, <laughs> it depends, right? Like people, people's way of filling the bucket is by like getting money. And my way of filling the bucket is to like yeah. help people. Um, And I, I like, it, it's both great and not great. Like I definitely have put others before mm-hmm. me way before, like so many times before. Yeah. And if we're going to be honest, it's going to keep happening. Um, But I yeah. And it can be unhealthy. It's like you get, you, you burn out. Right. It's and not so, a, you know, like this, like, this comment of like, oh, well, we need more people like you. It's like, ma'am or sir, generally it's a ma'am. I'm like, ma'am, I do not have, like, I don't have a choice in this. Like my, my brain and like what, like what drives me won't let me do anything else. Yeah. Better for work. Like my compass. Yeah. Like, like it, yeah. it, it was, yeah, I it was never this. an option. Like, this is always something that I felt like I've had to do. And when I veered off the path of, like, helping people, I just, like, got nothing out of it. Like, when I worked at the ad agency, it was cool. And I had a great time. And I met some wonderful people. But it did yeah. nothing to fulfill, like, whatever drive I had. And so I definitely was like, oh, well, that was a cool experience. But, like, definitely need to pivot into something else. Yeah. And I think that's so, I think it's so important to take that time, I think, to see what really, like, quote unquote, like, fills your bucket and, like, makes you not just happy, because, like, there are going to be, like, hard days. Like, there's definitely days where I I know for a fact, like, it's not easy. Um, But at the same time, though, I think just, like, having that drive, that internal, like, I want to do this, and this is what brings me satisfaction and makes me feel purposeful in life and valuable to like my community and to society is I think really powerful and like important to have in any career. Yeah. I was, I was talking to this, um, about, I was talking about this to someone the other day, like this idea that, you know, we're taught to like find our passions and like, Mm -hmm. if like people think that social work is my passion and like, 
I, it is something that I care very deeply about. And I keep up to date yeah. on things that are going on. I read a bunch of stuff. Like, yes, I am knowledgeable on the subject and I will defend it as far as I need to, to make people understand why this work is so important. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's my passion. Like my, I think my, I don't really know what my passion is. I think that, um, the reason that I'm going into this field is not like inherently linked to like my passion for social change. Like as much as I'd like for Mm -hmm. that to happen, I think that my passion, my quote unquote passion, um, lies really with like people and seeing people grow and change and really, I mean, like, yes, for better, obviously, but then, you know, people slip up and people have really, you know, bad times and there's times where they need more support and being able to be there during people's bad times and put myself behind that. Um, it would say is like, what is the drive? But I hate this idea of like, you need to find your passion. Like it's not, we're not like to say like, Oh, my passion is watching people get fucked over by oppressive systems. Like that's not right. Like that's not my passion. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's definitely for me. I think just like the, at least what I, what I'm doing is I think it's just me being with people. And I think especially with children and like you're also wanting to work with children, like just seeing them grow. Like it has nothing to do specifically with like, I potentially could have found something within social work that would like be a career option. But for me, it's just like finding something where I can interact with, with children on a daily basis and like watch them like grow and change and like their minds just expand and they provide that autonomy for them. I think it's really cool also seeing, so like I've worked with a bunch of different age groups from like truly mm-hmm. birth to 12. Um, yeah. Maybe a little bit older, but seeing how kids change over time when they get like real sassy or they start get like, they, yeah. they think on their own and they're both like super sweet and super mean. And then they like figured <laughs> out, you know, kind of more about themselves and they're growing into whatever personality they're going to have and how that like ebbs and flows and changes. Um, it's just super cool. And I, I'm so thankful that I've been able to be a part of so many people's lives and it's really fucking cute when like a 15 year old, like I worked with this family a couple of years ago and yeah. the son, the oldest son was 11 at the time and is now like 14. Mm-hmm. And I just like was at target and I passed him and he was like, Miss Catherine, how are you? And I was like, I like truly had like this moment where I was like, yeah. one, how are you six feet tall now? Like, you're huge. Yeah. Two, are you not the same sweet little boy that I knew so long ago? And like, he was telling me how, you know, I think he's taking like algebra and he's like, oh, Miss Catherine, it's real hard to learn over the computer <laughs> math. And I was like, I bet like. Yeah, I I as good at math as I was like I certainly don't think I could have learned it over zoom um but yeah he was like yeah yeah he's like 14 or 15 like starting high school um just like and I was like the last time I saw you you were playing pickup basketball with your like six-year-old brother like what are you doing who's also huge now and I'm like no everyone needs to stop growing like that's not allowed yeah I think it is a really I think working with kids there's a really unique aspect of like you get that front seat of like watching them like grow and change like in like a very different way I think than you would if you were even their parent um it's just like yeah like you're just I don't know you're going into it with such a different mindset like they're not your kid so it's 
I think you're much more, I don't know, accepting of like different things um, and giving them that space a bit more to like make those decisions on their own. Like you're not trying to guide them specifically in a path based on like your notions as a parent. Cause obviously our parents all see a little bit of, of our themselves in us and like want that to happen. And like there's, they can't avoid it, but like, if you just work with kids, you don't really have a stake in that aspect. So you're like, me. Well, and I think, I think <laughs> do you'll, what you want. you'll definitely yeah. have this too, where like you're working with kids and you know, you're not, you're not taking them home at the end of the day. You know, if they're having a bad day, like yeah. you know that it's going, that your part of that day is going to end and that, you know, you get to separate yourself. So it's easier to be patient and have that, you know, yes. compassion when it's not 24 <laughs> seven or, you know, after, a long day of work and like nothing went your way. And so I think being able to like take a step back and just be like, Oh, actually like you need a minute. Like when you're done having a minute, let's talk about it. But like for right now, yeah, just, you know, take your time with, get it all out, you know, work through it and being that like support for them while they're doing that, I think is really like an awesome part of my job. Yeah. And I think them knowing that it's okay to have those moments too. And like how to, I think having somebody like you to like, they can work through it and they know now that they can work through it um, is really powerful. Just like know that you can, you can manage things that life throws at you. And of course you can like, they're not fair and they're not okay, but like you can get through it and you can figure out how to. Yeah. I think something that I've definitely had to remind myself over the, you know, years in this field is that like, any any emotion is a is an attempt to communicate something and mm-hmm. you know when we're having really tough days or the kids are where the kids are just not having it or you know for whatever yeah. reason it's just not someone's day and they're upset or whatever that I have to like remind myself and I've gotten a lot better about this um but just being understanding that something is that they're trying to tell me something and that they're not actively, you know, wanting to hurt my feelings or to make my life any harder. There's something that's impacting them strongly that either they don't feel Mm -hmm. like they can share or they don't know how to. I find like this emotional intelligence um, differential is like crazy. People just, I mean, we work with kids who truly do not even have the like verbiage and the words to express like what's going on yeah like even the whole idea of like being uncomfortable like physically like they just there's sometimes kids like cannot express it sometimes like whether that's due to just like they're not at the age or um certain developmental delays or any sort of disabilities or differences like it's just yeah it is really hard sometimes I think and like giving them that space to kind of figure it out where like you're not going to like I don't know, like make a big deal out of it or judge them or anything. I think it's really, it's really yeah. helpful. Especially later on in their life when they like know they had that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, speaking of uh, giving space um, and time to process things, um, what would you say is your favorite self-care activity? That's interesting. So, you know, with COVID and yeah. everything, obviously times have been yeah. very stressful and things, you know, I, I did not anticipate the year to have gone the way that it did. Um, and as it continues to go <laughs> a different way than I had planned, um, I think you know, I definitely rely on my, the people around me, um, for support. So whether that's Will or, you know, Ella or Pranav and Josh and stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah. I think that it's, you know, being around people and surrounding myself, even for just short bits of time to like plug myself back yeah. into, yeah, a little, little burst, like remind yeah. myself kind of the different relationships that I have developed and how I lean on them. And um, that's been one. And then we've been watching movies recently, which I usually can't stay awake through yeah. one. So I'm really proud of myself that I've been able to. Yeah. I just watched The Sound fun. of Music and I watched it in one sitting. Thank you. Wow. I don't know. That's you. That, that's that was a, a three-hour-long movie. <laughs> I know. Movie. And we watched Black Panther a couple of weeks ago. Wow. And, like, just yeah. kind of having those, like, little moments together where you're not doing very much, right? You're just sitting there. But, like, yeah, feeling connected not, yeah. to the people around you without having to put a lot of emotional effort in because they know you so well and they're just happy to, like, be in your presence. Um and that's been really nice where I can just, like, come back and, like, watch. Yeah. Um, we just started Ozark. Okay. <gasps> Listen. Oh. My, my dad also loved show. it. They film it. They film it near uh, where they live. Oh, really? Place. I thought it was in filmed Georgia. in Missouri. Yeah, fun fact. Oh, right now, I wish. Well, the more you know. But I, like, I, I don't know if I'm yeah. going to make it through. It's it's very dark. It's always oh, super I, dark. <laughs> Which is, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like that's, like, the appeal for my parents. They really like, like, dark Okay, I will say, though, I generally also do. Like, Will and I just watched Barry on HBO with Bill Hader, and it was so good. Definitely very dark. Definitely moments where I'm like, oh, there's a lot of, like, that's happening very graphically across my screen right now. And I don't know. I love that. But, yeah, I'd say definitely um, trying out different TV shows and finishing Dear White People right now. Which I love. Oh, I watched that last. Summer. I must have missed yeah. it last summer because I thought I had seen it all, and then I was surprised. Yeah, and then they had the new season. Yeah, <laughs> it was a good time. Yep, yeah, Mara and I have just started watching Away. Oh, what's that? Uh, with uh, Omera in the background is so excited. She's like, "It's so good." Um, it is a uh, like a space movie. Um, about it's actually really interesting. It's about um, so Hillary Swank is the lead. And it's about a mission, like the NASA mission to Mars. Um, and it's interesting because it's them at, on the ship. And then it's like a lot of, it's like flashbacks and then also people at home. Um, but they do a really good job of kind of jumping back and forth in the in the spaces of like people on Earth versus people, people up in space. Um, and it's also really interesting. So the whole idea is like they, it's a multi-nation mm-hmm. initiative that like people are going to Mars. There's like this big mission. So it's like America, India, um, Russia, China. And then is he Ghanaian? No, is he Ghanaian? He's yeah. He was born in Ghana. I think Ghana's represented. Um, but yeah, it's like these scientists and these astronauts and like the whole idea is they're wanting to find life on Mars. And it is so good. You would really like it. It like has that perfect mix of like, Normally, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of sci-fi, I would say. Like, it's not my cup of tea, personally. I feel like sometimes it can be a little bit hokey. Um, or just, it is kind of like, it's a little heavy-handed sometimes. Uh, but this is actually really good. There's some great scenes. Um, and they talk about, they actually talk about disability a lot, uh, which is really cool in regards to, like, being an astronaut and, like, people back on Earth. And, like, like her husband can't go up with her because he has a, he has a condition. So, like, it's very... It's and that's on Netflix, or it's where? Where is Netflix. that? Okay. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll note it. I, we're almost done with your white people, so we need to. Yeah. Yeah. 
I always need a new show, <laughs> especially now. It's all I do in my free time. That and babysit. <laughs> um, okay. A uh, couple more. How do you think social media, especially like because of COVID, I feel like everyone's on their phones even more because like that's how we're getting our information and also how we're decompressing or trying to. Um, how do you think social media has impacted um, how you're able to like practice self-care and also like engage with what's going on right now? Like finding that balance. Yeah, I think I think it totally depends on the way that you use social media. So like mm-hmm. I love Instagram. I don't do much myself on there, but I do love like seeing pictures. Mm-hmm. And I, my Instagram Explore page is a curated meme puddle. Like I don't know how it knows me so well, but it yeah. does. It's scary AI is <laughs> ridiculous. It's always listening. Terrifying. Um but so, yeah, I, I think it's been, it's been a nice distraction. Um, I definitely have been a little bit frustrated with the performative social worky, mm-hmm. like I'm so knowledgeable on things like, look at me, I'm over here trying to save people, but then there's not a lot backing it up yeah. on the end. And so... Yeah, it's just like one. Yeah, like with let's like, be fucking honest. The black square thing on Instagram, like the number of people that I could name who had said nothing before that ooh. posted a black square and then have yeah. not said nothing is really disappointed. Nothing like I'm really that. disappointed in that. It's very disappointing. And so, yeah, yeah, I think for me, you know, I think yeah. it's great. There are a lot of resources and a lot of different accounts that I now know about that I'm much more in tune with kind of yeah. what's going on locally. So like, Occupy STL and then the STL activist or a couple yeah. of accounts that I follow. Yeah. Um, Real STL news. Yeah. There's awesome. a bunch of, of accounts. I, like I think it. also yeah. kind of less important, but staying in tune with what is going on at WashU, especially since I'm back to being a student. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the growing yeah. abolish Greek life movement, um, the mm-hmm. abolish Wu PD movement. And then obviously in the greater St. Louis yeah. area, like abolish the police. Um, I think there, I've definitely been able to stay a lot more connected and in tune with how people, yeah, how What's people that, around yeah. me are reacting to it. Um, and then kind of understanding why things can and can't happen. Um, like we, there is an insane amount of gridlock in St. Louis. Um, our mayor just, is she lied like she lied she did not she's not fulfilling her campaign promises she is just not the right fit for what the city needs right now um and so you know kind of staying up to date on that and what's been going on um like I listened to this podcast called we live here um which is about life in St. Louis Mm -hmm. so I would really 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 recommend to people who either have lived here or do live here um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's both, there's always a, a flip side to, you know, social media, like it can be used for good. Um, I think I'm really yeah. thankful that I don't use it as like, a like, I don't, I'm not finding my, I don't follow enough accounts where I'd like compare myself to people or like I follow my friends and I yeah. follow, you know, accounts that make infographics and I follow every dog account on there. Like, yeah, like my Instagram is, is not, you know, I was lucky that I did not fall yeah. into that kind of, I just, I, I'm always late to the social media game. 
So like, I mean, I, I, you know, I just got a Twitter like two weeks ago. I'm so and happy so, about like, it. I think it'll be oh my god, I'm having the best time ever. I am following these lovely yeah. accounts and people who just say what I'm thinking on the in, like on the inside, and don't have the guts to say on the outside. And I'm yeah. just so glad that that's a thing that's happening. Um, but yeah, social media. Yeah. I just I'm so I'm such an old lady personality. Like I don't know how to use social media, and I'm always super late to the game. Yeah. So, but that's okay. I think that's kind of a good thing right now. I think. Sometimes if you're right on, like, the edge, it can be – it's, like, overwhelming. Like, it's way too much. And, like, you also probably will take a misstep, which there's nothing wrong with screwing up. But, like, you have to admit that you screwed up. And I think that a lot of people aren't doing yeah, that. Yeah, so. I think it's interesting to see the difference in my friends from home. And Pranav and I were talking about this when Joe Biden chose Kamala, how different our mm-hmm. Facebook timelines looked and how people were responding to that decision even though we both came from like I'd say socioeconomically similar background um yeah in I mean he was from like outside of Chicago like that's where he lived before starting Wash U so like you know LA was a little was similar enough um but it's like oh wow we have like very different like like the way that like people reacted to the news looked very different um and I have to remind myself that what's on my Facebook timeline is very different than what um everyone else seems to think yeah, that's very true. Okay, last few questions. Um, what advice would you have for individuals that are wanting to learn more about social work or considering going into it as a field? What would be like your your advice, your tips maybe? All right. Any words I think, with them? So social work is a really expansive field. Um, I think mm-hmm. that we leave a lot of... Uh, responsibilities up to social workers. So I think the first step is identifying what subpopulation you want to work with. So I chose children, youth, and families really to look at the like how a familial unit um, impacts and affects children um, through different like age groups. So, but there's like, you know, you can go into like veterans or homeless or aging or you know there's just so many like mental health um there's more like mm-hmm. governmental social work like you know yeah I know some people do like criminal, there's like a criminal, criminal justice uh, um criminology justice? type yeah, it's really cool. field um you know there's social workers who deal with children but just in you know in in situations of incarceration and so you know, yeah. just kind of identifying what population, really I'd say that that's yeah. the start. Um, for groups like children, youth, and families and aging and veterans, there's pretty much most social work programs have that, um, mm-hmm. like medical social work as well. Um, so I'd say that's the start. And then, you know, once you've identified the subgroup, I think at that point, it's important to identify what environment you want to work with that subgroup. So I chose mm-hmm. children, youth, and families, but I want to specifically work in school social work. And so I was able to narrow it down more. And then within a school, you know, what type of behaviors I want to specialize in um, and then, you know, kind of honing it down. But I don't think that that's necessary before you start school. I think that that's something that comes with time and experience for sure. Um, Yeah. I think social work is also the super, you can do so much with it. Um, I know people, who, you know, get their yeah. MSW, but then, you know, go for a couple more years of school and become like a licensed counselor. Um, there's so many different titles that you can take on. Um, and there's so many options to 
grow in the field and move up and move out. And just, there's a lot of flexibility because there's so much need. Um, So I, I, I think that that's something that people don't necessarily realize before getting into the field is there's so much like upward mobility. Like there's so many other places to go with your degree that there's really never an end to what you can do with it. Yeah. Cause you can decide how expansive you want your, your work to be and how, what like impact you want to make. Like you can do school counseling, but then you can move onward after you've had a few years to like, Oh, I want to help develop like policies that would like make this a better system for kids. So it's, it's cool. Cause you get to see kind of both right. sides. I and feel like. Yeah. Or all sides. Yeah. With the growing social movements yes. with larger emphasis on social <laughs> welfare programs or as we yeah. kind of move away from this idea of, you know, that we need a police force um, and seeing kind of what the role of social workers will be if that system is able to change. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there is a lot of job security in social work, um, which is so great. Yes. And then <laughs> when you look at the reasons for that job security, it's devastating. And yeah. so kind of reconciling those two, um, those two sides of it has been a really interesting and tough time. You know, there are days where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I will, I'm so grateful that I will be able to help so many people. But then you're like, yeah. why should I, like, why are there so many people to help, you know? Yeah. Like what's like, going how on Like how did here? we fuck up so badly that there, that this that many people need people. services yeah. and the large majority of them are not getting adequate resources and yeah. And that's, yeah, I think the thing too is like, what's so frustrating is like, they've all been identified as needing the services a lot of the time. And like, wh- where you come in, you're like, so they're just not being met? Like, what is Well, and happening? I feel like, you know, everyone who's been working in the systems for so long are, you know, jaded and cynical because you've seen how it's torn people apart. Yeah. And they're, this idea of like, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Like, that's how it's always been. It's an idea yeah. that I'm hopeful will change in the future. Um, I, I definitely believe that we can do a whole lot more and be a lot better. Um, I just, you know, we're at the point where we're kind of at a crossroads where we're as a society, half of us are leaning to a place where we have, I mean, really everyone has different ideas for where we want things to go. This progressive wave of people, kind of collectively changing how we value our society. Um, And like we in the United States are very individualistic. We look out for ourselves and are not necessarily thinking about like the country as a whole. And it's so big that it's really difficult to do that. But I think seeing this um, kind of welfare emphasis on the idea that like everyone, no one has to be poor. No one has to be struggling. Yeah. We have the resources to do to make it better we're just making active choices not to and so i'm excited for this kind of yeah. progressive wave because that helps keep right and so I'm, ex- I'm excited for this progressive wave that's pushing back on that notion that like people have to be living in horrible situations who have to experience yeah trauma. like someone has to right like no one has to have a shitty time that's a choice that we've been making for yeah. centuries and we need to stop um yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the big thing for me is just, like, I think there's there's always been this, like, shame around, like, being idealistic and, like, oh, well, you're just, like, not, I don't know, it's, like, not realistic, like, you're, but I feel like there is space, like, there should be space held to have this, like, idealism because, like, if you don't have it, where are we Well, if you don't, 
Like we yeah, can't if you don't have here. it, there's there's nothing that you're working towards because why even work towards it? Because it's too hard. Yeah. Now that idea of like, yeah. where do you even start? And I know that I'm like, I fall victim to saying this a lot. You know, I, I get overwhelmed going into these systems that have existed yeah. for so long, knowing that I have a goal and a vision for where I want to see things, mm-hmm. but knowing that the system is going to make that very difficult. Um, yes. And so being able to recognize that there are really challenging and complex and overlapping systems that are most likely not going to be solved in our lifetime, but that we're like, hopefully yeah. able to make strides to changing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I think that's good. And then last question I have for you for our lovely, lovely interview is what do you feel are some misconceptions people have about social work? You touched on a few of them, but any last ones or things that you really feel that some people just misunderstand about kind of the field and what you do actually. Um, Yeah. The impact that you can have all that. Yeah. I think um, both for better and worse, there are, a lot of, um, I'm not even going to call them misconceptions because they just, I mean, they're built on history um, of really yeah. experiences. But, you know, I think for a lot of families that I'll be working with, um, the idea of having um, just like the the place that my identity holds in social work, like I'm a white woman. Mm-hmm. Social work has generally been dominated by white women. It was founded by a white woman. Um, and it would be naive to not acknowledge how white women have contributed to the breaking up of black families in America and how we have contributed to a growing amount of just shit for lack of a better term. We, we, there's a lot of, there's a lot of distrust rightfully so like it's based on a history of this idea that, you know, we know what's best for a family because it would be what's best for us is an idea that I think has existed in other forms of social work for too long and has created a large mistrust. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, ethical stuff that goes into that. So, you know, if, if a family is struggling and I know that they're struggling, I'm technically am a mandated reporter. So I have to report them and I have to be honest about what's happening. But if that's going to lead to the destruction of a family that I believe, you know, should be together, there's just a lot of ethical stuff with that where there social work is too black and white um and it Mm -hmm. when it's right it's about everyone like there's such an individual field that it's really disappointing that there's not enough like flexibility within it you know we have rules and I, i understand that we need to have rules but there should be opportunities to bend it and break it and make sure that we're tailoring our needs to what the family actually needs and not what we think they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. but because there's this lack of flexibility in a suit and su- it being super rigid, um, the, yeah. the conceptions that, you know, we're going to take away their kids or that we want or that foster care is the best place for them or that they're not suitable parents. Yeah. And then even within foster care, there's a, uh... Right. And like, why is it my, why is it my job and my place to be like, no, actually you're not doing what you need to do as a parent. Like I'm not out here believing that everyone is actively trying to harm their child. I think that we, we do the best with what we're given. And when we're dealt an incredibly difficult situation that really needs, 
like leaves no room for success, it should not be like, I should not be penalizing you for doing the best that you can. If I, if I can see that you are actively trying to provide your child with the best stuff, if you're just, you know, you're not, if you're not able to, to do what needs to be done, but you're still trying and you're trying to find resources and you are a supportive parent and your kid has, you know, maybe an idea that you're not in the best circumstances, but that they still feel loved and cared for, then that's what it really is. Right. And I understand, you know, it's tough. Like, you know, as a CASA, I'm sure you, you'll, you know, experience this, but when it's like the law tells you that one thing is best, but then, you know, in your heart that another thing is best, it's really hard to reconcile that. And, you know, yeah, we've had a lot of, yeah, a lot of that happened recently too, especially with just the rigidity of, of laws and things. Um, and I think it's put a lot of children, specifically children I work with, in worse off situations than they were before, where they were really right. Thriving. And I think we look at situations where, you know, on paper it presents as X, but in reality it presents as Y. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, yeah. sure, on paper they're not in a home that has people coming in and out of it anymore – but that was a home where they knew everyone who was coming in and out of it and it felt comfortable. And, you know, they, they were able to, you know, they still got fed, like they were still in school, you know, they may not. Yeah. They had friends in the neighborhood. Right. There were larger support systems. They didn't feel super alone, but then you move them into a foster care or like a foster family where things in quotes should be better, but you know, it's not necessarily what's, it's not necessarily what's best. Yeah, and it almost feels like things are more in limbo, too, once you're in foster care of just, like, at a moment's notice, your foster family could not be your foster family anymore, and you're being shipped off somewhere well, else. the department... Um, or, or there... Yeah. Well, like, DCFS, so, like, the Department of Children <laughs> and Family Services, um, which is overworked, overburdened, has too many responsibilities. Course, yeah. There aren't enough people to help in all the different ways that people need. Um I think that, you know, the system has failed so many people and it's systematically and continuously failing the same families over and over again. And it's contributing to this lack of social mobility and this idea that, you know, they're never going to be good enough and they're never going to be able to get out. And there are so many systems that are working against them that, you know, if you add this on top of that, they don't stand a chance. You can't. There's too many. There's too many systemic barriers. You can't overcome it. Yeah, and it, it makes people want to give up. And I've seen a lot of families give up, fall down, yeah. get you know, just like truly run over by the system. Um, and then to spit, yeah. they get spit back out, and then they get criticized for where they end up. And it's like, yeah. okay, yeah. What did you want me to like, do? It's like, well, it's like, where did you expect them to get spit back out? Like. Nothing, nothing yeah. is, is helping them, you know, nothing is, is built At all. to help them. Everything is against them, you know, and it, it taking and acknowledging that is really tough, right? Like uh, we as a society are like, no, everyone, you just have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, yeah. what happens when, you know, as you're pulling them up, like a dog is chewing at the other end and trying to pull it off you, like, you know. Yeah. Or what if you don't have right. shoes to like yeah right Someone took your boots like what if what if pulling yourself up isn't actually going to get you into a place that's you know like what is like yeah. pulling yourself up yeah like 
Right. What is what that going after? Yeah. And like, how much better is that actually going to be? And, you know, I think yeah. it's, it's easy for me to sit here as a privileged white woman being like optimistic about how many people I'm going to help and that I'm, you know, out here and I'm, you know, I love helping people. And so I'm going to do it all. And like, that's a really great attitude to have. Um, but I have to remind myself that, you know, the reality of, of what I will be able to accomplish is going to look really different once I am thrust into these systems that I already have issues with, but I legally and like ethically have to work great. And it's really challenging to kind of think about how, how much I could do if I weren't being held back by systems. But then, you know, you think about how these rules exist for a reason, whether or not I agree with those reasons, you know, depends. Right. But yeah, like there is some precedent for that and disappointing. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. It's like you wish you were just given more control or power to like make those really nuanced decisions. I think that's the big issue. It's just like they don't give you those that ability. Right. And I feel like there's this like growing issue in social work where people care more about or like administrative folks care more about the outcome rather than the process and I can't like yeah me fixing someone's problem for them without giving them the tools to fix it themselves in the future is not a success like yeah on paper it might look like they accomplished a goal but I want to make sure like my goal should be one of my professors said it great like the role of a social worker is to make sure that your job doesn't exist for that person in the future yeah that they can manage right. their that life. They have all the tools a, that they need to be successful, yeah. to navigate these really complex systems, and to know where to look for support and referrals and resources when they need them. Yeah. Like the goals of social workers is always to take yourself out of the equation. Like you don't want your yeah, That's you don't want your result. clients yeah. to you anymore. You want to get them to a spot where they are able to do things for themselves and they feel like they've gained some autonomy back in their lives and they have the ability to take care of themselves and, you know, access what they need for their family, um, whether that be through, you know, public resources or private, but yeah, you know, just kind of like, I think the trope that social workers get really stuck in is this idea that like your clients need you and they're always going to need you. And so you always need to be there for them. And it's like, okay, yeah, but also, you know, we should want, we should encourage independence and encourage autonomy and give them, yeah, right. Give them the tools step, that they yeah. need to make decisions um, and support them through that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Well, that was a, a great note to end on regarding social work. Um, yeah. Those are all the questions I have. Um, thank you so much oh my gosh, for thank joining you for me. having me. It's so yeah. nice to be with you know, FaceTime me set up and, you know, we, I feel like we have these conversations yeah. like just offhandedly when we're at dinner or wherever, like, yeah, so it's nice. It's cool to finally, I don't know, to have it at least like package and present it for other yeah. people, which will be cool. I think for everyone else to enjoy. So thank you so much for being on.